0: Hi, how are you? You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a podcast that's all about supporting parents as they bring up children. We've got experts and advice to help you through the more challenging bits of parenting. I'm Siobhan Hunt. There are only two ways to give birth, vaginal or caesarean. There are many ways both of these can happen with or without pain relief, standing, sitting, kneeling, lying down. But when you think about it, you've kind of got those two options. That's the way the baby's coming out. Professor Hannah Darlin is from the School of Nursing and Midwifery at Western Sydney University, and she's here to tell us what we can expect from a vaginal birth. Hi, Hannah. How are you? Hi. I know all births are different, but are there any basic things a woman can expect from a vaginal birth?
1: Yes. So a vaginal birth actually can be divided into two more sort of subcomponents, which is where women spontaneously push their baby out, as opposed to where they may need to have forceps or a vacuum to help lift their baby out. So we kind of call that part of vaginal birth instrumental birth. Now we know with the instrumental birth that women are more likely to have more perineal trauma, so tears need for a, a, an episiotomy um and the you know the, there is there are certain things around that that certainly add a add a morbidity that's different to pushing your own baby out so as far as a vagina birth, you know when you push your own baby out um, I guess the very first thing for a woman is absolute relief. And I find probably the challenging, the last challenging bit is when that, that head is is coming out. Um, <laughs> and my PhD was actually all around using warm packs to reduce the pain, which um, is now widely used around the world. So once that head is out, there's an enormous relief, you know, that the, the largest part of the baby has really been born. And then that baby goes up onto uh, our mother's chest. And there is that amazing moment of it's over. <laughs> and wow now I'm got to get to know this this new this new little baby and yeah so so that's kind of the very first part
0: I just want to go back to what you mentioned there about the warm packs mm. because um, it from memory I think I read somewhere once that that was once a procedure that women employed and we stopped doing it and um, How long ago did women use those heat packs during birth and how widely used is it now? Because I know when I had my babies, um, the last one almost five years ago now, it wasn't even suggested to me Mm -hmm. to use that technique. Can you explain when it was first used, why we stopped using it and how many people are using
1: it now? Sure. So, um, in fact, for my PhD, I published a paper called From Social to Surgical, and I traced back the history of perineal care. And I found as far back as you go in written records, right back to the days of Hippocrates, warm compresses were used. Wow. So it's probably the most ancient form of comfort in history of childbirth. And that really was fascinating. When I was a midwife, when I was training as a midwife in England, I had this woman, she was giving birth and the baby's head kept coming down and she kept sucking it back up and we all know that kind of feeling of the last bit when you're pushing a baby out. And this midwife who was with me walked out and she came back with this bowl of steaming water and I thought she'd gone quite crazy, to be honest. (laughs) And she put a face cloth in, wrung it out, put it on the woman's perineum and the woman just sighed and that baby just slipped out. And I was mesmerized. And then that led me down the track of later on when I came back to Australia and I started applying warm packs, I went from one hospital where everybody used them to another hospital where people thought I'd, you know, sacrificed a goat on the delivery floor (laughs) and it was, what are you doing? And that set me off doing the world's largest randomized controlled trial of applying a warm compress to woman's perineum and we found... Not only does it reduce that intensity of pain during birth, it reduced pain in the day one and day two after birth. It also reduced the most severe kind of trauma, which we call a third or fourth degree, which goes right down towards the the anus. The tear. Yeah, the worst kind of tear that you get. And then completely surprised me, but at three months, women had less incontinence. So you're absolutely right. (laughs) It's not used by everyone, but it's increasingly being used because it's now entered a bundle of perineal care that Women's Hospitals Australasia has put out, and it's now become a central component of recommendation for women. But all evidence takes about 17 years to get into practice. Wow. Right? Isn't that isn't That's that insane. horrifying? So I published in 2007, and it's only probably around about, about now that it is starting to become widely used. And I'm just thinking
0: if I was listening to this, I'd be... In my mind, my question would be, can you ask your care provider if they can do this during pregnancy? So if you're pregnant now and you have a midwife or an OB or a GP shared care, can you go to them and say, look, I heard Hannah Dillon talking on Feed Play Love. Can you try this technique when I'm in labour?
1: And a- absolutely, it's 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 hot water in a face cloth. It's, it's hardly some expensive. <laughs> I'll do it myself. <laughs> in fact, my my equipment ended up for the for the trial being a seventeen dollar sunbeam kettle. And a cloth, like it was not an expensive technology. The other thing is women can look up the Cochrane Systematic Reviews, which pull together all the best evidence in the world and come up with recommendations. And the review on um, comfort measures, perineal preservation in second stage, has got a strong recommendation that this should be used. So take it along, print it out, and take it to your health provider. Okay. Now, I
0: I possibly went a bit far then because we're actually (laughs) in labour at the moment. Um, But I'm wondering... You know, when women are pregnant, they will think about how they're giving birth. Some women will choose a cesarean. Some will say, I want a, and I'm using um, air quotes here, natural or normal birth, um, which again, there are different versions of that. But let's just say a woman has decided, I definitely want a vaginal birth. Mm. Complications can arise where you need a cesarean. But if you say, you know, your intention is to have a vaginal birth. Is there any way of preparing your (laughs) vagina, basically, for the fact that there's going to be a baby coming out of it? Like, you know, you hear that there are things you can do, like perineal massage or there's balls or something. Um, Can
1: you prepare for that? Yes, and look, the most important thing is preparing your brain. It has to start because <laughs> that is the largest organ involved in childbirth. And that is about making sure you have the right provider with you who is on side, that you have got the right tools with you. For example, go and do a childbirth education course that. Gives you tools like acupressure and breathing and visualization and and really helps you understand the importance of being upright and mobile and you know using water etc. These are the things that will end up with you much more likely to have a, a have a normal vaginal birth. You can and then again that's a, a big area of research that that we've undertaken. Um, so we know that doing perineal massage from about thirty five weeks onwards. Um, You know, you can do it every day during the week, but we know even three or four times a week is fine, which is where you or your partner insert a couple of fingers into your vagina and you're pressing downwards towards your back passage. And when you feel that sting, you're holding it. And doing that massaging, and you can use some sweet almond oil, something very neutral on there, KY jelly. We know that by doing that, you... you, do have a reduction in the risk for perineal trauma. So
0: with that, I'm sorry, I'm thinking about how big I was at 35 weeks. I'm not sure I could have done that myself. But um, you mentioned there you pull your fingers back until there's a sting. Um, Now, this is very naive, but please understand, I have a very limited knowledge of anatomy. What's the difference between a perineal massage like
1: that and a sweep? are very different. So a sweep targets, sorry, a sweep goes in and reaches your cervix. Okay. <laughs> which which that's is no tucked t- t- shyly up inside <laughs> and that's to try and stimulate labour to start if, for example, you've gone overdue and you want to reduce the chance of an induction. That goes up inside, whereas a perineal, um, perineal massage is doing the outside. It's really stretching the outside of the skin. Now you're very right, I could not reach. Um, Another <laughs> trick is one leg up on the toilet with your, using your thumbs that seems to be easier but the other thing is to, to um, get, get your, your partner. partner involved and yep. actually I find partners are not that reluctant and you know you never know what it may lead to <laughs> <laughs> and then perhaps
0: you'll be in labour because apparently exactly. that, that brings on labour <laughs> as well. Um, okay, so that's perineal massage. Now, do you know what I'm talking about when I say those expanding ball yes. things?
1: Yes, epineal, yeah. A- and, mm. and are
0: they proven to work as well?
1: No. So... Initially, it will look good because of the studies they were doing were what we call cohort studies where you just looked at outcomes of one group and the other. But once the randomized trial started and once that data was put together, there are concerns with, with the epino. There are concerns that, for example, that it's also forming more pressure on the pelvic floor than we would like and it could be causing more damage. So it's a very different thing to be putting in a, a balloon in your, in your vagina and blowing that up eventually to the size of a baby's head repeatedly. And having a couple of fingers pressing down on your perineum where you're not targeting structures around your, your bladder and your, your pelvic floor so intensely. So, but you are, with the
0: massage, you do want to feel a slight sting. That's what you're saying.
1: With the perineal massage, yes. So as you pull your fingers down and you sweep at the bottom of your perineum, I'm using my fingers here and, of course, nobody can see it. <laughs> um, think about it as, as a fish hook. You're going down and out down and out to the side, and then you feel a thing. And every day you'll find that you can actually do that a little bit more.
0: Okay. Um, you mentioned uh, mentally preparing um, for a vaginal birth, which is the most important thing. There's nothing quite like going into labour, though, to make you realise this is the experience, there's no turning back. Um How important is it to understand the options when it comes to pain relief um, and what your choices are once you enter a hospital? Let's say that the women we're talking about are having a, a vaginal birth in hospital. Do we need to know what our options are there?
1: Absolutely, look. I I was a very experienced midwife when I had my first baby, and I tell you, it was nothing like I'd read in the textbooks or seen. (laughs) It was completely its own unique package. And there is, it's it's a bit like motherhood, though, too. You know, you can study every book. You can. I was a maternal child health. I had a masters in that. I completely fell apart. So I think we need to give ourselves a break until you actually do it. It is very unique to you. I think the most important thing is you have the right guides with you. You have the right coaches with you. You have the right support. And you trust them. And you trust them. And you feel you're in a safe space. Whatever that space feels safe for you, that's where you should be. Whoever the people around you feel safe For you, they need to be around you. When you have that in place, a lot of that other stuff gets dealt with. But what's really important, and I encourage women to develop birth plans. So have a discussion with your provider about what you want, about how you feel about pain about what options appeal to you you know things like we know women who use water immersion or showers etc have much less requirement for epidurals they have they use less pharmacological pain relief so drugs for for pain they have you know um, much more positive experience of birth so the biggest way to reduce pain is stay off the bed stay mobile. Because when women get pinned on the bed, it is incredibly uncomfortable. The human body, and we've done studies where we've observed what women do in different environments, the human body in labor is meant to sway. It's meant to dance. It's meant to move the backside. It's meant to move the hips. And when you're pinned on a bed, you're not doing that. And you're not also helping your baby into a good position. So keeping off the bed Absolutely key. Uh, a study that we did a randomized control trial a few years ago that was published on a childbirth education program that used things like acupressure and visualization and massage and birth positions, etc. And we more than half the epidural rate in women, nearly half the cesarean section rate, and women were so much more satisfied in the group that did this course. And the thing they found most useful was acupressure, which actually isn't a really good... It's putting pressure points on different parts of your body that help with relaxation and pain relief. So... The problem we have when we go into many hospitals is we have a menu approach, which goes something like this. You can have gas and air, then you move on to to, to morphine, and then you move on to the big guns of, of epidural. But there is all these other things that women can do that will often mean they don't need those other things or at least get them along into labour a certain way, and then if they need them, they can they can always get them. So it's important to be aware of those things, but it's also be important to be aware that if you are in a safe place, you're well supported, you're moving around, you've got water and you've got acupressure, massage, etc. your body will kickstart this cocktail of hormones called endorphins, which actually is nature's drugs and they're quite legal and they don't <laughs> hurt the baby. And they take women's minds into the primitive brain where they can just be themselves. They lose track of time and space and they cope with pain so much better. So in, in I work a lot. Um, I work in a group practice, and most of our women have, have babies at home. I don't see women in pain. I see women in labour. But when the baby's in, in, a, in a position that's, that's not correct, uncomfortable, labours are very long and hard, you know, thank goodness we have pain relief. But it shouldn't be our first day. But many women are ripped off because they're not given antenatal education that gives them the tools to manage that pain. We'll be back with
0: Professor Hannah Darlin from the School of Nursing and Midwifery at Western Sydney University right after this. Hi, I'm Siobhan Hunt. When you become a parent, you enter an exclusive club. Come on, we've all been there. We've all pushed (laughs) our children's poo down (laughs) Down the the drain (laughs) of the shower or bath. One that only other parents and carers can truly understand. The Parent Panel is a weekly podcast that invites adults to ponder the big questions of looking after small children, with more than a bit of humour mixed in. Join us for The Parent Panel, wherever you get your podcasts. I've got some questions about um, that sort of understanding of your own body and what it can do in a minute. But um, back to when you're um, in labour. Let's say you haven't. Let's say it's pre labour. Is there any evidence that tens machines work? Because I had that with both my children. Mm-hmm. I
1: don't think it stopped me feeling the contractions, but it was a really great distraction. Yeah. So I remember when I went into labour, I went into labour in the night and I sent my husband to bed because I didn't know that as much from being a midwife as you want him to be in good condition for the <laughs> for the long haul. And I had the TENS machine on all night and that really – kept me going really well in early labour till I got to about four centimetres and then I was like, "Just, I need the water. So then I got in the pool. So absolutely, I find TENS machines are really good for that that sort of ouchy first bit where you don't know what to do explain what they this are. Side. Sorry, we're yeah, just because we, we
0: both use them.
1: <laughs> How do they work? So they're, they're little pads, little gel pads that stick to the lower part of your spine and they put in an electrical impulse and they're shooting little kind of buzzes into your back and then you have a dial and you can ramp that up. And while you're having a contraction then you're ramping up the buzz, and when you don't, you're reducing it. So how they actually work is on what's called the gate complex. So if you stimulate another sensation, it takes away your awareness of the big one. So by giving you little buzzes in your back, your big uterine contraction pain, you're distracted from it. There's another scenario that works also similarly. We're using more and more, which is called sterile water injections, which is where you actually inject little blisters of water in the lower part of a woman's back. That's quite painful when it happens. And then there's this amazing instant relief because you're so focused on this that you're not focused, so focused on the back that you're not focused on what's going on in the uterus. So TENS is a great, it's a great part of your toolkit. Mm. And it's really good for early labour. But unless you've had a baby before and you have a fairly quick labour, it, uh, it's, it's rare that it will be the thing that takes you through the whole period.
0: Mm. Now, you were just mentioning um, that women aren't given the tools to sort of understand what their bodies are made for. I think um, one of the things that must be very convincing is when you talk about the release of hormones that help helps us through labour I had a friend who told me um, she'd only ever experienced one or two contractions because she went into the hospital and a midwife told her that um, going through labour without pain relief was like having open heart surgery without a general anaesthetic. And I thought, well, no wonder you didn't try anything else then. Um, But what does it mean to your body if you have one or two contractions and straight away have an epidural?
1: Well, that's actually a really good point. First of all, the midwife wasn't doing her job, <laughs> and that that's disappointing. The actual surge in hormones that happen. So, as the head pushes on the the cervix, you know, hormones like oxytocin and um, prostaglandins are released. As the contractions happen, oxytocin is released. As your your sort of natural endorphins arise, you reduce your adrenaline, and so you don't tense up. Adrenaline. It causes, you know, it dampens down oxytocin. It means you're more likely to have painful, less effective contractions. So all these hormones work in this amazing synchrony. So they're also really key. What we now know is evolutionary-wise, those hormones have been primed to get us through labor, to get us instinctively finding someone safe to be with and somewhere safe to have a baby to prepare us. But they're also being designed to make us connect to the baby when it comes out. So when you watch a woman who's had a normal a normal vaginal birth without pain relief, the tigress is awakened. So that baby also is, is when it doesn't have drugs in its system, is, is, it's awake and alert and it's ready to go on and breastfeed. And the the high levels of hormones in both the mother and baby are mirrored. In fact, the catecholamines, which we often know from things on runners high, nothing in the world other than labor and death mimic that high rate that we get in in when when giving birth they're, they're the extremes we see in physiology so what happens when that baby comes out is the two of them are just like viced onto each other the tigress is awake you try taking a baby off a mother <laughs> who's got that powerful cocktail in her mm. unless that baby needs help and The connections, their eyes are bright, the baby's alert, the baby begins to suck and smell, and the smells of both of them are connected. So all of these hormones are vital in, in bonding. Now, let's be reassuring to women. Having an epidural having pain relief is not going to take all those hormones away. You do you do get them. We know women who have cold cesarean sections don't, and that's why we think we have some of the problems with bonding and with breastfeeding and with What do you mean depression. by cold? You mean the Sorry, elective. Elective. Yeah. So where you have no labor and you have okay. a cesarean section, we know babies are born with low cortisol. Mm-hmm. We know that that that's not a good thing. We actually want babies to be born with high cortisol because that helps them to connect to their mothers. We know when a baby's born by lactose cesarean, we put it on the mother's tummy and give her skin to skin rather than taking it across to the resuscitator. We know that the cortisol in the babies go up to mimic the mother's. Wow. So that's why it's vital if you're going to have a cesarean section. You must demand skin to skin. So when you have a normal birth, of course, you get skin to skin immediately. That stimulates a whole other lot of hormones. The baby starts to kind of smell and suck its way across your chest and, and latch on. That stimulates a whole other sort of hormones. To be very honest, we still are finding things out. Now, I, you know, we we've landed a man on the moon, but we still really don't know how women... Labor and give birth, and and I, you know, I always think that's really fascinating. That this most ancient, and <laughs> incredible process that's kept humanity alive, still in large remains a mystery, and we have intervened for the last hundred years in it without any understanding of what we're actually potentially doing.
0: Yeah, um, and it is, um, I suppose we should also say, which I you alluded to there, Hannah, that, um, if you uh, were all for awful choice, you can yes, elect to have yes. a cesarean, vaginal birth. Drug free, not drug free. As we long were, as you're informed. As long as you, you have you're a good well choice. Yes, yeah. exactly. Because I think my the biggest thing for me when I had my babies was fear. Um, particularly with my first baby and still with my second. Um, and I had two different births as well. But I think that a lot of I went through midwifery group practice, which I highly recommend. It was a great experience. Mm. But I was, I was pretty much afraid the whole time. I couldn't quite get to the point of empowerment, which is yeah. why I think talking in um, biological terms of what actually happens with your hormones, it's incredible. I mean, if you think about when you go into surgery and you have a drug to calm you down before you go in to be operated on, we're talking about powerful natural drugs here, right? We're
1: talking about incredibly powerful natural drugs, and we're talking about how incredible women's bodies are and, you know, that we need to learn more about how all of this works and how to facilitate it. So it's a, just to pick up on your point about fear, I, people often ask me, what's your main job as a midwife? I say, my job is to keep fear out of the door. So I stand at the door and I keep fear out. And that's in little things like the language we use around women. It's around the comfort we give them. It's around discussing fears rather than hiding them and, and mulling over them. I actually think fear is not a bad thing because fear helps us to prepare. It helps us to face the things that are coming and it helps us to come up with strategies. The problem is when our fear becomes so powerful and pathological that it's blown out or it's manufactured, that it's unrealistic. And that's where you need, for example, you had a midwife you knew, so you learned to trust someone who then you knew would be at your birth and you had consistent information. So the best way to reduce fear is trust. Fear and trust are two parts of a a side that cannot coexist. So if we can maximise trust, we diminish fear. And the best way to maximise trust is through relationship-based care, and, and the best research tells us uh, having a midwife, you know, through that journey is the best way to end up not only with an optimal birth. Yes, you have more normal vaginal birth, but if you need to have intervention, we know those women are also less traumatised and more understanding as to why that was necessary for them. Mm, it's so interesting. Um it's-
0: Just a couple of quick questions before I let you go. Um, It it comes up often that many women are afraid that they're going to poo
1: whilst they're in labour. Does it happen to everyone? No, it doesn't. And... I just wish I could reassure women and I do have that discussion where that's that's a normal thing and it's not you pooing. So let's get this let's let's actually blame the baby for this one <laughs> because this is the baby's head squeezing it out. You're not pooing. Um so number 1, I always to say to women, gosh, I wouldn't know when to get my gloves on if I didn't have some signs. And that's one of my signs. We hide it away, we cover it up. It's not a big deal. Um most women, once they're in labour and they've got their clothes off, and they're you know, let's face it, it's it's not you know a an incredibly uh, you know private thing. Um, <laughs> you know, hopefully you've got the people in the room that you know, but you know there is a lot of that. And once you've got into that process and the hormones are triggered off, you're less concerned about it. And most women come out having had the baby and they don't even know. No, but I don't The midwife gently tucked it away.
0: I have no idea if yeah. I did or not both times. Um, is tearing inevitable we've spoken about tearing
1: no tearing is not inevitable most first time mothers will have some form whether it's a graze or whether it's a small tear that's that's not abnormal so we're talking at about you know 70 to 80% have a little bit but the more severe tears we know the best way to reduce significant tearing is keep women off the bed keep women upright reduce forceps and vacuum the biggest risk of bad tearing is forceps and vacuum so then you say well what are the biggest reason why women end up having forceps and vacuum yes babies get their heads into tricky positions and don't um you know get into an optimal position but epidurals um not being able to push unable to push the baby out therefore that leads down to that sort of so let's go back up line and let's give women tools to try and avoid things that can lead to the worst outcomes and how
0: long should you expect recovery to take after something that we might consider a healthy relatively safe delivery you know
1: how long is a piece of string i think we thought you know we had this ridiculous kind of concept that 6 weeks you know you went and you had your 6 week check you were allowed to resume sex um and somehow you were ushered out into the world as a you know you were back to yourself well i actually don't think anyone's ever back to themselves mentally emotionally because being a mother means you've you've now got this whole other world that you were forever changed so i think we've got to stop the kind of there's a magic mark because for some women it's pretty quick and for other women it's years And I think we need to give women a break. I think we've realised it's much longer than we thought and we know that at least for the first year of your life, there is a lot of physical recovery going on, even if you have a good birth. If you don't, then that recovery can go on much longer. So let's be kind to women and say, take all the time you need. And I I
0: must admit, I was a bit shocked. So um, my daughter, I had an epidural. My son was a vaginal birth. But then... um, after him, I remember thinking, oh, I, I had a vaginal birth. I'm fine. And I think maybe two days yeah. after I had him, I tried to walk to the shops, which was about a kilometre away, and I was knocked sideways. I could not believe how tired mm-hmm. I was. So in terms of even that first week, should mm-hmm. women expect that they're kind of recovering? Their body's done an enormous
1: job absolutely so what in in our practice so we follow women up for six weeks in our practice and I always say to women we need to bring back the baby moon that's the month afterwards where you start day in your house where you just fall in love where people feed you where all you do is breastfeed and sleep and connect with that baby so we need to bring that back absolutely the first week you should not be going anywhere and we often because we're still high on those hormones so we feel a bit like superwoman we've just had a baby look what i've done i'm going down to the local shop to uh, prove (laughs) it and then you're exactly right your muscles haven't come back together again you've lost a bit of blood so your iron levels aren't so high so i you know A lot of cultures have traditions where for one month after birth, they have a lying-in period. Now, that was brought in for a reason because if we didn't look after women and babies in that time, they died. And I think we've lost that in our modern society, and we need to bring it back. And I would say to every woman, think of that first month as your baby moon and really get everyone to come to you and to look after you. It's your time to be a queen, a princess, an empress, um, for goodness' sake, life's going to get busy after that.
0: <laughs> oh, I love that
1: idea. I hope everyone takes that away with them from this interview.
0: Hannah, thank you so much for coming in. My pleasure, thanks for having me. That's Professor Hannah Dylan, she's from the School of Nursing and Midwifery at Western Sydney University.